You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Fengball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Community Pulse. We are here today talking about imposter syndrome, and it's a topic that came up um, a few weeks ago that we really wanted to touch on because we've seen it a lot lately in the community. Uh, A lot of people have been talking about it online, about how they don't feel prepared, they don't feel ready, they don't feel like they're doing the right things or that they know what they're doing or, you know, how, how they feel when they're told that they're an expert and they aren't really sure what to do with that because they don't feel like an expert themselves. Um, So we've got Kelsey Hightower with us here today, and we brought him on um, because Jason actually thought of him directly when we started talking about the topic of imposter syndrome because of a talk that he gave in Austin. So Jason, if you want to fill us in a little bit on that. Sure, yeah. Um, You know, like you said, as we sort of started exploring this topic and who would be be a really great guest and what do we want to make sure we we cover, um, yeah, for whatever reason, this talk really jumped out at me. And I'll let Kelsey kind of maybe tell us a little bit about that talk, but um, it took place in Austin, DevOps Days last year. Um, There's a bunch of great speakers, and uh, I think, Kelsey, maybe you had a plan to deliver a different talk and kind of change it up at the last minute, Uh, but maybe you can kind of share with us a little bit of backstory and a little bit more um, information on what that that was all about. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so DevOps Days Austin. So that was a conference where I think we had probably the world's most legendary DevOps lineup ever. It seemed like a reunion of all the people in the DevOps space. And I remember watching some of the talks and I had a personal feeling that there wasn't enough technical talks, right? Like enough things that really talk about maybe even some of the tools. And I know it's not all about the tools and culture, but I kind of had a feeling some people were there to at least get some tools out of it. Like, hey, what should I be using? You know, I look at some of this stuff as a lot of the culture, a lot of the practices do get serialized into our tools. So for some people, just simply grabbing a tool is a quick way to checkpoint and kind of get up to the speed or where the industry is. So I was going back and forth and I made a mention on Twitter uh, that there isn't enough uh, technical talks here. And, you know, of course that led to one thing or another. And I think someone may have called me out in terms of like, I was afraid to do a non-technical talk. And uh, I don't know about being afraid. It's kind of like I've been in control of what I talk about and how I talk about it. And I thought back to GopherCon, which was another conference where I actually read a poem to kick things off. So it was very much a culture-related poem because of how I was feeling. I didn't want to go to the conference. I didn't want to talk about it. And it kind of sparked those same emotions when, when that comment was made that I was afraid to talk about things that aren't technical or be vulnerable. So I decided that night to, to switch it up. And I just wrote down a story about like my life and my journey into tech. And the whole point of that talk was all these buzzwords, all of these tools, agile, DevOps, you name it, mean absolutely nothing. Because before those terms, if you care about your job and you care about getting things done, then you just do it, right? Everyone comes from a different background. Everyone has something different to contribute. And that point of the talk was from a personal story narrative is that every person has that story and has the ability to get things done versus working on a DevOps strategy that may take one or two years. 
So it's more of a call to action. Get to it. Stop with the excuses. Well, I, I think you bring up something interesting there, Kelsey, because we, we do we do love to talk about the technical and and I, I personally I, I prefer the term non-technical talk versus soft talk. I think that's a we could do a whole episode on that. But I think that it, do you think in some ways that the tools or the adherence to tools or even dare I say fads, uh, you know, and, and trends that we see like agile and and DevOps. Do you think that these are a way to kind of cover up so people can say, well, if I say I'm on the DevOps train or that I'm, you know, DevOps certified or, or whatever they want, whatever term they want to use, they're kind of covering up for the fact they actually don't know what's going on. So they can say, you know, I have this badge of honor I can carry, but that means that you don't have to see that I, inside I have, I'm, I'm clueless as to what's happening. Yeah, I don't think we're going to try to generalize that, but. I do, you know, like a lot of times I get to bring in on exec briefings or even work with the engineers that are practitioners. And I always ask very tough questions, right? How long have you been on this digital transformation? If you tell me <laughs> you've been transforming for 17 years, I, listen, at some point you have to have some outcome. If you're practicing DevOps, why are you practicing DevOps? What is the outcome? So if you tell me you've been doing DevOps for 18 months, You've given everyone on the team new titles and you're still deciding whether to use Jenkins or Spinnaker, then I think you're lacking the accountability part of all of this. You need to make decisions. You need to go in and you need to be responsible for the outcomes. You can't just walk around and say, we're practicing DevOps, but not actually executing that. That's not acceptable. So that actually brings up an interesting point for me though. Um, if you, say you don't have a background in in operations in devops in that space and you are now being held accountable to the decisions that you're making for the team that's scary right that's that's a difficult thing to do to go okay this i think is the right decision based on x number of months of experience but but i have to own this and i have to move forward and i think that's something that that we run into in devrel a lot right is that like, cool, I've been doing this for X number of months, X number of years, this many companies, but like, none of this is science, or at least it doesn't feel like science, where like, we know if we combine these two things, it's going to result in this, right? And so I think that uncertainty leads to some of the like, well, I can't necessarily call myself an expert because it doesn't work every time. And if I can't say that it works every time, it's not, how do I yeah. confidently make that decision? These experiments aren't repeatable. Right. Yeah, I think... I think ahead, when you start to talk about, when you start to talk about this uncertainty, that is life, right? When I'm a teenager studying for my learner's permit and I get behind the wheel for the first time, I am uncertain that I'm going to kill everyone in the car because I don't know how to drive. Uh, the same uncertainty exists when you play a video game for the first time. You don't know what to do, right? You're just pushing buttons, trying to find your way around. That, that is just life. Right. And this is why things like confidence are so important because it's not that you will know everything. I think for those that are new to the space, they may have it even easier. They could just say, look, I don't know, look for help. And the second thing is just not getting distracted between two or three of the same thing, like pick something, go in. And I think that last part is over time, hopefully your confidence starts to grow. I don't know a certain thing and I'm okay with that. I'm going to choose this as my starting point. I'm going to communicate that I don't know this. I'm going to try this. And I need some people to validate it and be comfortable with getting critical feedback, such as it doesn't work. 
it's okay if it doesn't work. What they pay you to do is take that feedback and work towards making it work. And I think a lot of this pressure comes from it needs to work the first time. That, that may or may not happen, and it may not always work. So you kind of need to build up this sense of feedback loop and be willing to execute when it comes time. Do you, do, do you think that part of this has to do with kind of our, our work ethic as well? Where to, because your, your first step was saying, I don't know this thing. And that's kind of opening up to a vulnerability that I think a lot of people in the workplace, and maybe this is just a North American thing, a lot of people aren't willing to come forward and say, listen, this thing that I maybe am supposed to kind of know tangentially, I actually don't know it. And I'm admitting to you that I don't know it. Do you think uh, that level of vulnerability is, is a commonly seen thing in the workplace today? Yeah, I mean, some people do get punished for saying things like that. Um, that's probably not a great place to work. Like, right. Legit. Like, if you're at a place where you say, hey, I don't know, and I'm about to be very responsible in my approach to this problem you've just given me. To me, that's a sign of maturity right? Very senior people can say that because again, when you have confidence, you can say, listen, I'm very confident in the things I know. Here's a new thing. And I'm very confident in my approach. So what I'm going to do first is kind of write down, make sure I understand what you're asking, going to research some existing solutions. If one of those fit, we're going to enter the feedback cycle. That's all it really is. I mean, think about it. If you've been doing this for a while, no matter what the technology is, you download it, you install it, you use the default config, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, fix and repeat. That's the industry. Pick a new tool. It's the same thing. So at some point, we all have to be responsible for gaining a little confidence and then the ability to say, hey, on this one, I don't know, but I trust my abilities to find out. Right. So I want to add something to that or, or just kind of pivot a little bit that I feel one, I think we, all of us in, in, in these types of roles are generally, generally pretty curious people um, like to explore new topics and like to also teach others. And so that always kind of puts us in this like pioneering kind of posture where we're at the front of some new thing or, or at least new to a, a community that we care about. And so we have to like balance this expertise, this like outward facing expertise with, oh my gosh, I'm learning this like minutes before I turn around and tell it to other people. Um, but I think we've, we've been successful in doing that, that we set like these standards for ourselves and for you know, what other people come to expect from us, that we can absorb something technical and then you know, distill it down into something that makes more sense to, to a larger audience and that they can leverage it in a way that um, you know, makes sense to them. Yeah, I think, I think people forget what the skill set is. It's like a food critic. A food critic's value is not the fact that they've tasted everything in the world. It's the fact that they know how to go and taste something and give their feedback and observations in a very clear way. This is why you get really excited when a food critic goes out and tastes something new. And I think that's what our roles are as technologists. We will always be faced with a new set of problems. And it's our past experience that lets us approach those new problems with some of that experience that makes us, you know, really figure out the right way of proceeding going forward and being able to handle that feedback loop. Mm -hmm. I actually really, really love that analogy. That's a great comparison, you know, we're, yeah. We're the food critics, right? We, we know how to approach something new. We know how to learn something new. And I think I'm, I'm thinking this out loud as I say it, which is always a dangerous thing. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if part of the problem is that 
we're seen as experts outside the company, right? So our, our community tends to see us as experts in certain areas. But if our internal community, our people who we work with on a day-to-day -day basis, our colleagues don't see us as those same experts, then us coming in and saying, hey, we don't, we don't know how to do this thing, but we're going to try it this way, sets us up for, you know, possibility of, of not just failure, but looking bad to the rest of the company. And I think for those of us who have been in DevRel for a while and seen whole teams be decimated in a day, mm -hmm. right? It, it launches into that fear of like, well, if I admit that I don't know what I'm doing, then it makes my team look bad and maybe I set us up to be dissolved at the next reorg. But I, I also think it's important that we, we, we put a, a, a very clear line between failure and not being seen as an expert within the organization. I think a lot of, a lot of times, especially now that I'm doing it for several days, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on a lot of things. I know all of my clients' technologies, but not as deep as I would if I worked for one individual mm -hmm. like I used to. At the same time, like failure, how do we measure failure in DevRail? Uh, you go up and you just completely lie your, your face off on stage. That would be a failure. Um, you make stuff up. You don't show up. You're, you know, you're a horrible community member. That's a failure. And if that's the case, then yeah, you should totally get fired. Um, well, I, I got thought. So I think for me, this is the first time I've ever had a job title called DevRail. Right. And mm -hmm. I look at the title and I look at it in terms of like, hey, there's this umbrella title that gives me the flexibility to explore the vision, the usage, how other people use it of a particular product. Now, none of that is different than when I was an engineering manager. None of that was different than when I was a uh, engineer at places like Puppet Labs that had an open source community attached to it. And it's like security. I think everyone in some ways is an advocate or should be an advocate for the things that they work on. You should be able to convince other people that the work you do, the thing you're building is a value and is a value to them. And we luckily enough have this role that's carved out that lets us kind of focus on that full time. But I think a lot of people in DevRel don't understand the value of DevRel. If you want to be an evangelist, meaning use this product because they pay me to tell you that to use this product, or I like this product, and so should you. You are an evangelist, and that's okay. The world needs evangelists. It's a good complement to marketing. It's technical marketing with some people that have some authenticity rooted in their passion for a particular project. Advocacy to me is more of a combination of being like the CTO of the product, right? You have a product manager whose job is to make sure that this product has a business model, the company doesn't go bankrupt from building it. And I think DevRel has an opportunity to come in and be the CTO of the product, meaning help with the vision, make sure that it's technically sound, and then institute a feedback loop that is super critical. If you build this feature, no one's going to use it. Or if you build this feature, this will unlock this particular segment of the market and here's how we're going to tell that story that's authentic. Yeah, and that's kind of what Mary and I, we were talking a lot last week and PJ wasn't part of that conversation, but we, we were- I was uh, on a plane, to be fair. <laughs> we were uh, commiserating over you know, some, uh, when we, we started talking about what do we wanna really drill into today, um, one of the big parts was when, when we don't necessarily have the feedback loop set up 
or designed the right way. You mentioned a lot of cases of evangelism or DevRel, or I think the topic or the titles kind of shift between you know different companies. But in general, a lot of them do roll up into marketing, and I think there's some frustration there from a couple different vectors. One, as that as that evangelist or or you know whatever person, if you don't have if you don't feel like you have a main line into the product to like give them that critical feedback that hey this isn't something the industry is really looking to do or you know, maybe you should consider doing this because I'm starting to, you know, pick up a sense that this is, there's a need for this. Like if you don't have that, that feedback loop right there, there'll be some friction and frustration with, with the evangelism or whatever team you've got going on. Uh, but then they also have to feed back into marketing. And I think sometimes marketing sees them as more of a contributor rather than a feedback loop. And that contributor is just for top of top of funnel. So it kind of took us back into this whole conversation. Well, what are we, what are we experts at? Where, what is our value and where is it being used the best? And how does that somehow affect our sense of, of being an imposter? Um, well, so maybe I think it's very you, circular. Yeah. I think if you strip the title away, there are times when I'm only working with marketing and I get it. They, they are trying to put together the most authentic message that they can. And it's okay to just have a focus on marketing sometimes, or if that's kind of what your role is, because that's also needed uh, in terms of a full product strategy. There are times when I'm just working with sales and I got to jump on a call with the customer or fly down to a customer to really help understand what they really need and if we can help them or not. And I think that or not is critical. When you get to the point where you can say or not, I think that's when you hit the absolute value for the people you're advocating for which should be the customer or the user, right? What can they do with this product? And maybe where it's not a good fit. And I think that's where you start to build that credibility. That's where I start to think you start to gain that trust from the organization. So all those things that lead to imposter syndrome, when you can look someone in the eye that's about to build a thing, you say, listen, that is just not what's right for our customer. And here's why. I'm a customer too. Look, here's how I use it. And it doesn't work that way. So if we want it to work that way, then we need to make changes. Once you start to do that, they'll be asking for more of your time. <laughs> like That's a lot of value that they don't have time to go gain on their own. Well, and I think it's that authenticity, but then also knowing what our limitations are, right? It's, it's putting boundaries on what we can do and what we're able to do. And I think, I think that's part of it is that you know, if we're able to say, look, I am able to do X, Y, and Z, I can't do these other things, or I can, but I don't have the time to, right? And that relates back to burnout in some ways of setting your boundaries and knowing what you are able to and not able to contribute with um, and what you, can, what you can help with. But I think some of those opportunities let us learn a little bit more about it. Some of it help us some of them help us to to reframe things in a way that make more sense for other customers and it all contributes back to you know if if our intent and our purpose with what we're doing is 100% focused on our community then that's where our focus should be and that's where our our knowledge is most helpful also i think people in these roles should not forget that they need to also grow and evolve too so if you join a company because you're really good at community, you may want to progress past that or do something different at some point. And it's okay to define that for yourself. I think a lot of times if you're good at a certain thing, let's say community is the one where I see abused the most. 
If you find someone that is technical and good at community, we like to just keep them stuck there forever. Like you mm. will just be the community person forever. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and I see Jason waving his hand over here. And I, I think it's really important that when you come in, you actually have goals on how you're going to evolve. Because if you start in a community and you see another need, or maybe you decide that this project needs more vision and I want to get back into the code base or I want to sure up that vision, I want to move and pivot to product, you should have some of those goals. And I think that will help you become stronger. So if you're weak in those areas, say, hey, I'm weak in the product management area. And I would love to spend time with the product team getting stronger in those areas. And I think this is how it's going to influence my current role and help me get to where I personally want to be. Right. And I, and I think, I think another thing that kind of adds that and makes that difficult is the, the short lifespan thus far that a community role has like DevRel in general, isn't that old a concept. I mean, maybe I've been doing it for seven or eight years, but I don't think it's much older than that. Maybe 10 tops. Um, and when you compare it to something like engineering, they, they haven't even figured out, you know, the proper post path for that yet. So needless to say, we're, we're back burnered when it's, you know, oh, the standard role is you were an engineer on a project and then you became an advocate for said project. You're a community manager for that project and now you're a CTO because that's the way it goes. Um, you know, so I think, I think it's interesting, like it's good to have those goals in mind because right now we do have that flexibility only because it's less hard in stone. Whereas with an engineer, it's like you're a junior engineer, you're a mid-level engineer, you're a senior engineer, you're in management. Um, or you're just permanently a senior engineer. That seems to be more in stone than what we have in place right now, only because our field is so young. Yeah, actually, I want to chime in with something here, because this is related to, again, something we chatted about on Friday, in that we don't currently know what the future of evangelism looks like, but we know at least that we have some people postured to mentor and pull people up. Whereas pre previously, this type of stuff just, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily taught anywhere. Uh, most, most of us in this job are, um, you know, like Kelsey kind of pointed out, we're technical, but we can also engage with the community. And that's just some sort of skill that we picked up, you know, somewhere along the way. But it wasn't really something that we went to college for or went to, and, you know, took right. some courses for. And I, uh, I wonder, Jay, if, if a little bit of that's where the imposter syndrome comes from in the fact that there's no... There's not a huge foundation for what we are basically in this role, making it up as we go along. Right, exactly. Um, but, yeah. but now there's hope for the future generation, I think is kind of where I was going for that. It's like maybe this is becoming somewhat of a, like uh, we're at least exploring how you, can, how you can sort of build this up in a, in a very pragmatic way, you know, that you start to look behind you at who are the other people that kind of check off the same boxes that you think you had that made you good at what you did and you start to mentor and coach them. And I think that's something that we didn't, you know, because again, this sort of area of work is somewhat new, we just haven't really seen, but now we we are starting to see that. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's some hope of a, a generational gap where, you know, we're struggling with this now, but maybe the next DevRel people who are coming up yeah, aren't gonna struggle with it as much because they have more of that so training background. I think, I think one thing to be super clear on is, is the struggle is the only reason why this is worth doing. That's true. If, if this was not a struggle, if it wasn't hard to understand how do we make people more successful? How do we improve our products? How do we have a better feedback loop? This job would not be worth doing. And that's probably when it will die off, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's hard, those are the things that you need to run towards, right? When, when, it, when you say it's hard to measure what we do, 
actually, we are lucky enough that we're in a kind of a role that there are no clear defined measurements, but there can be. And they can always pollute the reason why we do what we do. If you say we want to have sales go up because of our work, then some people exhibit bad behavior where they only want to advocate on things that result in more dollars. So I think our industry is trying to be very careful right now on, we do not want to bias our advocates in a way that doesn't help the customer. And I think this is why it's such an open-ended field right now. Our goal is to make sure that the customer gets what they need. Now, to be fair, if you're actually doing that, you should see sales go up. You should see awareness go up. You should see churn go down. These are all measurable things that we can actually do. So I think given the freedom that we have, it's up to us to kind of focus in certain areas and say, well, like I've made a decision to cut way back on technical conferences because there's some value that I see that I can do in some of our products, either how they work, closing feature gaps, uh, figuring out how to get retention way higher, uh, zero to five minute experiences. And those are some of the things I can't do if I'm on an airplane all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I so think how, I need to tie this back into imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just feel like it's all, it's funny how so many of us, uh, Kels, like you and I, I feel like kind of going down the same path where we on the road constantly or in, a, in an airplane constantly preparing for the next talk. Um, but at some point you have to grow and, and move on to the next thing. But what that is, is there, there's never been a path forward to, to, you know, to even know where to go down. So again, you're looking back at, well, what am I, like, who am I and how did I get here? You know, and my own personal story is not, you know, not one that I would have ever expected to take me to where now I'm, you know, posting up in front of people telling engineers at, you know, X company, what's the latest and greatest thinking on how to deliver software. Like that's just not something I ever imagined as part of my, part of my story. And I think there's something still there that, that, that um, maybe keeps you humble when that's there, but it also still keeps you feeling this constant like imposter thing. It's like, how did All I right, get so, here so fast? So here's the thing about the imposter syndrome. So who are we trying to mimic? right? Because if there's going to be this imposter syndrome, who are we trying to impersonate, right? Are we trying to impersonate the best advocate in the world? Are we trying to impersonate the best speaker in the world? Are we trying to have the same amount of credibility that, you know, Vincent Cerf because he invented the internet. So that carries a lot of weight when he talks about the internet. Are we trying to have that level of credibility? So when we speak, people can say, ah, you're the person who invented that. So what you're talking is the truth. And I think that's where the root of when it comes to advocacy. And also there's this other part where, man, I bet people think I'm just doing this because I work at this company, right? So we or because I'd like to travel or I'd like to go to parties. Yeah, exactly. So all of those things, when you look at it, that's things that make us feel like, am I doing this for the right reasons? So what I've personally done is said, okay, what do I bring to the table. I have a certain speaking style and I stick to it. I like to do the live demos. I like to tell the stories. I like to build my own prototypes just to keep myself sharp and humble. So the things that I'm showing people are stretch problems that I've given myself. I've overcome lots of my keynotes. I'll say, Hey, I just learned this last night or a few days ago. And I just want to share that with you because I think it's really amazing. And if you look at it, it may be amazing for you as well. 
And I kind of write down these various areas of where I am. And then there's areas where I want to grow. And I no longer think about impersonating anyone else. Now I'm just trying to be a better person. So now I'm done with the imposter syndrome business. I know things will be hard. That's why it's worth doing. I know there's going to be challenges I don't understand. Another reason for doing this job because it's worth doing. And as I start to get better in the areas where I'm weak, year after year, I just feel like I'm super strong. I'm just growing in all of these areas that now if I decide to go be an engineering manager again or a leader or going back to engineering or going into product management, I'm better equipped in all of those areas than I was before. And that's why now I'm just kind of, I've letting go of this whole imposter syndrome thing. I think that's a really good point. Like we obviously have like labels that get associated with us for different reasons. But um, when you stop and just like say, I'm not defined by this, I'm just, I'm defined by really just me being me. And um, people, know seem to like what we do by us just sort of being ourselves and so um you know it's important just to remember that we just continue to do you you know everybody and uh it doesn't seem so so like anxiety inducing to just be always on top of your game and like having all of the answers and all that kind of stuff and and also i think being open enough to be vulnerable i was talking with, about this with someone recently being vulnerable enough like kelsey was saying to say listen i don't have the answer for that when we're out in the community, sometimes people ask us questions. And, and, and to me, the most foolish thing you can possibly do is try to answer something you don't know in order to support the facade of you know all about this thing or this company or this product. It, I, I find there's nothing wrong with saying like, hey, listen, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure how that works. Let me get your email or get in touch with me and, and I will find the answer for you. We'll, we'll chat on Slack and you know, I'll, I'll, within 24 hours, I'll have something for you. Well, that's what we're really good at is connecting people, right? Like if somebody wants to like learn something about, you know, Kubernetes, guess who I'm going to point them to. And that's just what we're we're good at, you know, is like, no, not no knowing when we don't know the answer, knowing who to, who to like get them in touch with or point them in the right direction. to. Exactly. Well, and something else that I'm thinking about too is, you know, Kelsey was asking, what are, what are our standards of measurement? What do we measure ourselves against? And I wonder if some of this, you know, we're really good at telling our team or telling marketing that like, hey, measuring your number of followers on Twitter is just a vanity metric and it's not worth it. But how many of us look at Twitter and go, well, I don't have that many followers. I don't have that kind of, you know, that kind of following, that kind of platform versus getting out there and engaging with the people that we do know and doing all of the same things that we tell our team and tell our company is a valuable use of our time and a valuable way to track our metrics for whether or not we're being successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think every company is different. Some companies need you to focus on revenue. Some companies need awareness. Some need adoption. There's different things that you can bring to the table for each of those companies. Sometimes having a huge Twitter following can add value in a personal mm-hmm. brand, right? This is why athletes mm-hmm. get endorsements. If you decide that is an area that could help you, then there is a path to doing, to growing that particular skill set. Again, this is where some of the areas that we're weak in, I think we lump a lot of these emotions and feelings into imposter syndrome. They're just things we got to work at. That's it. We got to look at some of these things and say, damn, if I had a slightly bigger following, maybe my message could float, you know, much broader with just a single tweet versus an airplane trip uh, to Europe. And if that's the case, 
figure out how to work on that. And that's okay just to say I have to work in that particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's just all about growth. You have to evolve, right? You just, wherever you are right now, you ask yourself, what do you want to be? And just work incrementally towards that. And like the session we're having now, just chat with people. Hey, how can I get better at this thing? Give me critical feedback. I keep people around me that look at things and say, I don't know about that one, Kels. Like, I, I don't, it's good, but I don't think you're really pushing yourself on this one. I think you're just doing something to do it. And I need those people around me and they don't make me feel like imposters. They're the engine I need to kind of make sure that I'm improving. And if you can get some safe people to do that around you, or when you see things in a public, like, oh, Kelsey is a sellout because X, Y, Z. I don't even take that personal anymore. I'll read yeah. those and say, are you actually trying to sell, communicate to me an area that I can improve in? And honestly, not everything re- requires a response. So sometimes you can just listen and decide, is it going to help you improve or not? Right, right. And I think that's the important thing, right, is being able to filter that feedback and go, cool, that's coming from someone who cares about me and cares about what I'm doing and wants to see me learn and grow and move further. That's coming from someone who either doesn't understand what I'm talking about or has no, no interest in seeing me better myself right? And being able to, to filter that in a way that helps you grow and learn and where we don't get stuck in the, well, but people are saying these things or they're See, reacting this way. It's funny for me. I feel like it's the people that, that don't seem to understand why those are the people I chase down more to be like, wait, I'm not communicating this thing to you. And I want to know why that's the part I need to fix. That's where I need to improve and grow. Like Kelsey's saying is I missed somebody who's the person I missed and why. And I've, I've, I think we all know this, gone down the rabbit hole with people on Twitter trying to be like, but that's not what I said. Why didn't you get what I said? Um, <laughs> and not, what, not what in a defensive way, but in no, a No, no, just like, how can yeah. I clarify this and make it clear to you that mm-hmm. I'm trying to send a positive message about blah, 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 blah. which that totally, that's a technical term. You can look. <laughs> and one thing I want to do is bring it back to the imposter syndrome. So I know there's a lot of people in our field that may be listening to this show um, they get confused about our struggles. Like I don't do speaker notes. I don't do slides. I kind of go up there and I freestyle. And I'll tell you every time I'm nervous as hell, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's been a time where I actually chickened out on a keynote and it was at GopherCon. And I decided I don't want to even do this poem that I've made. It's a, it was a rendition of Maya Angelou's uh, Still I Rise. And I, I remixed it, my own words. And I'm like, no way. I can do this. It's just, it's not going to happen. And I'm freaked out. And I called my wife and I was like, hey, I'm not going to do that, that poem. Actually, I'm not going to even give my talk at all. I'm just going to be in attendance. And I made up this like BS reason to try to make it all rational. <laughs> and she was like, cool. And then she called me back two minutes later and was like, nah, that's not acceptable. You talk about <laughs> all of this, go towards the pain. You talk about doing things that are outside of your comfort zone. And here you are, finally outside of your comfort zone, and you're not going to do it. Mm-mm. Now All get your butt on stage. Yep. And I definitely got on stage. And I gave my poem. And it was amazing. <laughs> and it was only amazing because it was so real that it scared me. And that's how I know when those things bother you that way, that's when you do them. Mm-hmm. How you know that it's good. Yeah, right. it's, I mean, we, we, we need that kind of feedback. We need that kind of support, you know. And, and for those of us... Who, 
who aren't lucky enough to have amazing wives and, and husbands and everybody else to like support us that way. If we're not getting it at, you know, from our people that we work with at our companies too, that can be a big contributor too. I think it's like, we just don't really hear that. Like, Hey, you actually, you need to, you need to push yourself here. Um, which I, again, I come back to, I think, I think more of that's starting to show up, you know, like I think those conversations, we have our, our Slack uh, group, you know, our evangelist collective in there. We've got a ton of people, um, that we coach in there. And now I think just with the, uh, you know, like Mary's working on a book that's going to cover a lot of this stuff. Of course we have this show, but it's, it's now starting to like shift a little bit where we can share our own sort of war stories and things we've learned along the way. And like, you know, anecdotes like that. Now I, I feel compelled to, you know, if I, if I find out, you know, somebody is feeling maybe the same way you were Kelsey, like I need to play that role of, of booster and come back and say, you know what? I heard this one thing one time from this one really smart person and here's what you need to do. Agreed. And I think that's where giving and receiving feedback comes into play, right? Um, there's a, a book that I'm trying to remember the name of it and it might just be the art of feedback um, that I read recently that is just, it's all about, you know, here's, how we receive feedback better. Here's how we give feedback better. Um, here's how we can uh, be more supportive, but also, you know, make sure that people are receiving the feedback in the way that we intend it. Um, it's called the art, or sorry, thanks for the feedback, the science and art of receiving feedback well. Um, and I think part of the reason why we don't get that support sometimes is because people aren't sure how to give feedback or how to receive the feedback. But I think integrating that into our day-to-day, -day, especially when we're mentoring people in developer relations, especially when we're helping other people out in the industry, is a huge part, or should be, a huge part of what we do. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, I, I think also on this imposter syndrome thing, um, I, don't, I don't know if we should probably find some new words to break down that big umbrella of emotions, because mm -hmm. um, most technical people seem incapable of expressing a range of emotions, right? It's either raging and ranting, like we know how to do that well. <laughs> and then the other stuff where lack of confidence and all these other emotions, we wrap into uh, imposter syndrome. I, I just see people use it so often. It's like, wait a minute, what are you actually talking about? You know, maybe there is a case where you actually do not know what you're doing. That's, that's okay. Like you are yeah. an imposter, actually. It's okay. You're an imposter right now. That's not a syndrome. You just happen to be a real imposter. You've taken a talk on a topic you don't know at all. And now you're going to fake it until you make it. Mm -hmm. And you know what? There's a situation for that. And you got to ask yourself, if you don't like being in that situation, then either A, you're going to have to figure out how to say no to those kind of situations or prepare like hell so that you are no longer an imposter um, when it comes time to maybe get on stage and talk about something you're not used to. And I think that's another thing we need to be able to embrace. Sometimes you are an imposter and like you guys know it, you've been, you've been to a talk before and you're just like, wow, this person is really talking out of their ass right now. <laughs> they have no clue what they're talking about. And the bad part, the thing that makes you an imposter is when you believe you know what you're talking about right? Or you know that you're lying. Like now you're, you're, you're being an imposter. It's okay to not understand something you're still learning. 
But when you're like totally faking it and like powering through it, you need to stop. Okay. Like don't necessarily be an imposter on purpose. Yeah. And I think maybe, maybe if people are having a hard time just getting past that word, maybe saying, you know, I'm a student, I'm learning. I don't know a lot about this topic and that's okay. Right. But just getting ourselves to the point where we're willing to say, that's okay. I'm all right with that. And I will grow and I will get better and I will find people to learn from. But right now I don't know it. And that's not a problem. Yeah. I was actually talking with someone recently who, who, had a similar idea, but they didn't want to use the demean. They feel like student was diminutive because it kind of sounds like intern or noob or something. So I was like, well, use the term anthropologist. I'm an anthropologist in tech. Um, like I'm that. still studying all of tech, but I'm still dusting with a toothbrush. I don't know what I'm seeing yet. I've gotten mm -hmm. just below the surface yeah. and I know there's more. Yeah. All right. Well, I hate to say this and to be the person who stops this conversation, but we are out of time. Um, and like we say often, I think there's a lot more we could dig into here and we'll have to do another episode at some point. But right now it's time to shift over to our checkouts. Um, so for those of you who are new to checkouts, this is a section that we go around the circle and kind of just mention something that uh, is working really well for us, a new tool, a new blog post, a new book, a new resource, um, or something that we're just enjoying, uh, whether that's a new TV show or a new album or anything of the sort. Hawaii. Uh, or Hawaii, you know, whatever, whatever, wherever you may be right now. Whatevs, Hawaii, <laughs> um, cool, I guess. Hey, Jason, how about you start us off today? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, these were kind of last minute checkouts, but uh, I recently did a little bit of a self-financial analysis after my, my epic trip to Japan and Hawaii. I felt like I needed to like sit down with myself and make sure everything's okay with my finances. And uh, sure enough, I needed some help. So I, uh, I got to recommend YNAB, Y-N-A-B.com, which is short for youneedabudget.com. Um, it's still, it's been around forever, but I kind of keep coming back to it every couple of years, but it's, it helps me like every time sort out like some problem areas with my own personal finances. And, and then like, uh, so anyway, I went through like this whole, you know, just budget your life type of thing recently. And that helped a lot. That with nerdwallet.com actually helped me find like a good uh, credit card to transfer some, some balances over that had some kind of high interest rates. So non-technical, but I know like for me, a lot of people were using the constant, using the, or pulling out the credit card all the time. And there's, there's just a lot of money kind of moving around. Um, sometimes I lose track of it. So this helped me kind of square up on it. Cool. That's all I got. Awesome. Well, I'm next on the list, so I'll go ahead and go. Um, so two things for me, one, I, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, um, I've been reading through a book as part of a program called the Alt MBA that I'm finishing up right now, um, called the, and now I lost it again, but the feedback book that I mentioned. A Thanks few for the ago. feedback. Thanks for the feedback. Thank you. Um, but it's just, it's a great walkthrough of both why we have a hard time receiving feedback and, and how it's kind of turned into this bad thing amidst, you know, performance reviews and all of those types of things. But it's a great look at how to receive feedback as well as how to give it in a way that leads to healthier relationships. Um, and then the other book that I have to recommend uh, feels a little weird and a little surreal because it's my own. Um, so it's not out quite yet, uh, but you can now pre-order The Business Value of Developer Relations 
Um, the print version is up on Amazon as well as on APRESS. Uh, there is a Kindle version coming for those of you who have been asking me that. I don't have a date on that yet, but it's getting there. Um, and the reference to Hawaii earlier is I figured out recently that I do some of my best work on planes, which is kind of random. So I booked the longest nonstop flight that I could from San Francisco and happened to land in Hawaii last night. So I'm finishing up the last couple chapters, but should be out soon. Uh, we'll be sure to announce it here, or you can follow me on Twitter to see when, when that's done. And PJ uh, and I are going to record the audio version of that, so look for that. Coming oh, out. my God, that would be great. <laughs> We're just going to give like, you some feedback on that. Back and forth, uh, back and forth <laughs> in chapters. Oh, boy. All right, PJ, it you're up. It was the best of DevRel. It was the worst of DevRel. <laughs> might not uh, be my book by the time you're done with it. <laughs> We're doing them in accents. Yes, absolutely we are. Um, so I actually, so I got a couple things. I was recently at a, a conference called Collision. It's a pretty big conference um, where I, I've made lots of friends from around the world. And one of them is this guy who is an IoT guru and advocate um, developer for a long time called Jim Hunter. He's really into the IoT space and VR. And he decided to kind of take a look at what are the potential negative implications of those. So he wrote a work of fiction. Um, his first ever work of fiction is, it's called uh, Recollection, Recalling Your Future. It, he plans on it being three books, but uh, I just read the first proof, the first printed proof, and wrote a review for it. It is now available on Amazon, um, both in Kindle and paperback form. Pretty good, interesting. I liked it, especially because it didn't feel like a modern sci-fi book that was like, hey, we just want to make a movie, um, which is a problem that I have with most modern sci-fi. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, since we're doing a little bit of self-promotion today, is uh, Code Days. We just announced our speaker lineup, so if you're not busy September 14th and 15th, you should go to codedays.me and get tickets to come see us in Buffalo, because it's going to be pretty friggin' awesome. Um, and it will be beautiful weather, and the leaves will be changing in Buffalo. So come for the conference, stay for the awesomeness that is Buffalo, New York. Yeah, I can plus one that. I was there for the first one and it was awesome. Yes. So definitely attend if you have a chance. Mary is an alumni, so she can, it's she can true. say this. It's thing. true. Alumni, alumnus. I didn't take Latin in school. Alumna. Yeah. Kelsey, anyway. you got anything you want to you share with our, with our peoples? Uh, so I've been recommending people check out themselves and like, like mm -hmm. serious, like detach from everything. Your Twitter feed a little bit. Books the media, whatever it is, and just figure out like who you are and why you are the way you are. And I don't think of people spend enough time really writing down what they believe in and how did they get to that point, right? You know, some people will say, I'm a system administrator, right? And what makes you believe that and what makes you say that? Um, and, and you can go around the entire, your entire life and really start to decide how did you get to where you are do you like it? And if you don't, what are you actively doing to be a better you? And I think a lot of people do not spend enough time checking themselves out, you know, liking the things that they like just because they like them and being comfortable saying, hey, even though that's awesome, I like this other thing instead. And I think we need more of that, right? We need to reduce the echo chamber effect. Um, we need more people not trying to personate someone else. We need them just being themselves, the, whether it's awkward, amazing, whatever it is, we just need more people finding themselves and putting their spin on things. So I want people just to 
you know, spend some time checking out themselves, find a quiet place and just do that for a moment. That's awesome. Advice. I love that. That is awesome. That it, can, I, can I paraphrase with a, with, a, with a term for my youth, which was check yourself before you wreck yourself, which like it was really <laughs> cheesy and people would say this shit all the time when I was a kid. But at the same time, like, like I remember, okay, so maybe I had imbibed a few things. And I was like really thinking about it. I was like, no, that makes sense. If you're not introspective and in looking at what you're doing, the potential to ruin what you're doing and make things worse in the future is really bad. Mm-hmm. So that's actually like a super kind of important term, even though mostly it was said like by kids who didn't want to fight people. I don't really remember. It, it's funny it. because I only remember that quote from Ice Cube. It's check yourself well, yeah. before you wreck yourself and X, Y, Z is bad for your health. That's and, right. <laughs> I like uh, Kelsey's. I liked Kelsey's version better, PJ. Sorry. That's, That's fine. I was just trying to I was bumper sticker. No, you're right. You're right because it is. It is true because if you don't actually know who you are, you just go down this crazy ass path, and it gets very mm-hmm. emotional, and you're no longer in control of it, and everyone right. else seems to be pulling the strings, and you do just hit a brick wall eventually, whether it's a, the wall of burnout, mm-hmm. uh, lost identity, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you name it. All those things tend to happen when we feel that we're no longer in control of the situation. And Amen. it's just much better when we feel like we're the ones driving our own identities. Amen. Agreed. Awesome. I think that's a good place to close. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Kelsey, for joining us today. Uh, if people want to follow you online, where should they go? There's only one place at the moment. It's just at Kelsey Hightower on Twitter. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for joining us and uh, we'll be back again with another episode. But in the meantime, this has been Community Pulse with Mary Thingval. I'm at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. And I'm Jason Hand. You can find me at Jason Hand on Twitter. And I'm PJ Haggerty. You can find me at Asplenic on Twitter. Thanks everyone. We'll catch you next time. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at Community underscore Pulse online at communitypulse.io and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.